This is Daniel Fagella, head of research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. This week, we're focused on what it looks like when AI enters the real world. That is to say, the complicated, kludgy, IT and people ecosystem that is the modern enterprise. We speak today about the adoption of natural language processing. Our guest is Sudanchu Salani. He is the head of robotics and intelligent automation for ING Wholesale Banking. ING, as many of you are aware, a very large financial services organization with nearly 70,000 employees around the world. Sudanchu speaks to us specifically about a particular NLP use case that he's put in action and that he's now rolling out across different portions of the business. So we speak to Sudanshu about how he selected this AI project, what was the business problem, and you know why did he decide that an artificial intelligence solution, which might be more complicated than some kind of IT tool, was going to be the best fit. So what led to the decision for AI, and also what were the challenges in actually bringing it to life? What did it mean to bring team members together? What did it mean to set expectations with leadership? And what did it mean to actually move the thing from pilot to deployment? As many of you are aware, a lot of projects die in the pilot phase, and Sudanshu's experience of actually being able to shepherd a project to success is a rare and valuable thing. Sudanshu was introduced to us by Expert AI. Expert AI is a sponsor of this week's episode, and they were kind enough to make the introduction to Sudanshu to cover this use case on our podcast. We thought it'd be a great fit. So if you're also interested in reaching the global audience here at Emerge and potentially being on our podcast, our newsletters, or our Emerge.com website, feel free to reach us at emerj.com slash ad1. That's our creative services page. That's ad like advertise and then the number one. So emerj.com slash ad1. And you can learn more about how we help AI brands reach leaders around the world. Without further ado, let's go ahead and fly into this episode. This is Sadanshu with ING here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Sudanshu, we're going to kick things off. We're speaking today about applying artificial intelligence in an enterprise environment. You're one of those rare folks that's actually been charged with deploying AI in an enlarging existing enterprise. Before we get into too many specifics, I'd, I'd love to get a sense from you as to what was the initial problem and starting point where AI was even on the table? Why was it even something worth considering? What were you wrestling with at the time? Well, the challenge was disengaging activities that were performed by our customer support teams. So our customer loyalty teams, we call them. And, and these are the teams who are supporting our wholesale banking clients day in, day out with their, with their queries and questions and concerns about different products or services that we offer them. Before we could actually service our clients, we have to go through some administrative tasks or activities. That was the biggest problem. And nobody should spend their time on these activities. They should really focus on more customer-centric activities. And that's what we started with as a problem to, to really get rid of those disengaging administrative burden from our customer support teams so they could rather focus on tasks and activities that would matter the most for our clients. Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. And and just to, you know, I, I'm sensitive that, you know, we'll get into as much detail as you're able to here, but this yeah. is already kind of painting a bit of a picture. You know, we've got some folks that are supporting your customers. You know, they really should be spending their time focusing on the customer's problems. But what you're saying is that, a lot of their interactions with the customers are burdened with administrative tasks. I mean, I'll throw out some representative examples. You can tell me if I'm on the right page, um, if you have any yeah. more specificity you can. But what I imagine in my mind is, okay, this customer wants to buy something, or this customer is asking about a product, or this customer wants to change a product or a plan. And in order for us to do that, 
we've got to maybe search through some big Byzantine system where we got to put them on hold for 15 minutes. Or maybe we have to submit a bunch of paperwork or submit a bunch of forms and then wait two days and then call them back because that's just how yep. the process goes. So is it something like this? Yeah. Also, but also even before that, and, and just to uh, just to deep dive into it, we are focusing on emails for this use case, right? So here we are talking about the problem um, wherein we are receiving loads of emails in, in, in support team mailboxes every day. And, uh, and be mindful that these support teams are not, ex not exactly always the one who are solving the problem from end to end, right? We want to empower them, of course, but they always have dependencies and there are also back office support teams who help, these, uh, who help them out. So the first thing that starts when we receive an email from a client is that we need to add, uh, register this email into a ticket and then assign that ticket to a respective department, right? So that's basically the administrative task that I'm talking about. So receiving an email from a client all around the world, we are, we are doing business in 42 countries, so really uh, from, from all around the world, all these type of customers. And then the reason of this email can be anything as well, as you, as you named a few, right? Can be to request a new account, it can be to close an existing account, it can be to reset the password of the internet banking, it can be anything. And and that's exactly the, the, the challenge, that to register this ticket into the ticketing system and assign it to the right department is the burden that we really don't want to give it to the support team and we should rather just focus on solving the problem immediately as we receive the request. Got it, got it. Okay, so the issue here is you've got a tremendous volume of inquiries and somebody yeah. has to parse through all of these yeah. and decide which category, which bucket they go to so that they can actually get in front of somebody that can solve yeah. them. And what you would prefer is that they just show up in front of the person with the relevant expertise who can solve the problem exactly. right then and right there. So, okay, got it. Exactly. So it's, yep, this extra layer of complexity that we really would prefer to not have to have humans be burdened with. So that makes a ton of sense. Now, you know, I can imagine there's a lot of ways to solve that problem. You guys ended up, you know, going the artificial intelligence route. Talk to us a little bit about how you came across AI as a possible solution for this, and then what it looked like to actually, you know, pilot and eventually deploy AI to help with this initial problem. Well, in this case, we started with automation as a solution, right? So not necessarily the ultimate solution, but automation as one of the uh, uh, starting point to, to see how we can automate this initial part of the process of receiving an email and classifying an email into a, a category of a service request. In that uh, what we realized was there was not much of a gain because automation, uh, you, for automation, you need set rules. And as I said, there can be n number of reasons why a customer would send us an email. And the more customers, the more countries you roll out the solution to, there would be even the magnifying number of uh, reasons that they would send us an email. So, uh, and that many rules is very difficult to, to, to script in a robot or so. So that's why we thought of moving from a rule-based solution to a model-based solution, which would basically be an AI solution, to have all these capabilities to classify an email, to receive an email, understand this email, and mind, uh, mind you, these emails come in different languages as well, because of course we have, because we are a global bank, we, we have clients in multiple countries, so these emails can come in different languages, and we cannot expect our support team members to all understand uh, all these different languages. On the other end, we also don't want to allow them to use and the, the, the public uh, translation system. So we really want something uh, compliant, on-premise uh, solution to use to understand the email coming in in different languages, parse the email, classify the email into uh, a service request, check the details in an email with the, with the details of client in our systems, make sure that the ticket is registered for the right customer and for the right category within the within the ticketing system and assigned to the right department. Uh -huh. So a lot of checks and balances are done in that in that process. Yeah. So yeah. 
that's basically the, the where 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 AI helped us solve solve the problem to a larger extent. And I don't know, maybe we can talk about the value of it later because sure, we're sure. very very happy how how this is resulting because the, the the accuracy level and the coverage of emails being automatically processed is incredible. You're painting a great picture here. I'm just going to check in on this and clarify this for the listeners. You know, when we think about kind of ticket routing, this is a really you know, much easier than responding to complicated client requests is properly routing things into the right department, the right bucket, etc. And clearly that's part of the application that you're talking about. But you're also mentioning that we're pulling from the name, the email address, the phone number, whatever the contact information is in the email, yeah. and that we're matching that to an individual client. So it's being appended to like kind of a, re- a request category, and then it's being appended to a particular client record, and only after those two things is it being sent to the right department and put into a queue? Is this is this correct, or is there another layer of what AI has to do that I might have missed? No, no, this is correct. Okay, great, great, great. So, yep, so, yeah, the latter one of actually identifying and matching to the customer account is really important because, you know, you and I, uh, Sudan Shu, have both been in the case where, you know, you call up a company, you tell the first person who you are, they route you to somebody, and they say, who are you? You know, and then you have to repeat everything from the beginning. If you could literally start the conversation and they know who you are, what you just bought, what you called in about two days ago, this is a much more seamless experience. So it's interesting to note that that's another layer as to what's happening here. So just to clarify, you know, in terms of where AI came into the mix, I would estimate those two tasks, one of which is categorizing the request type. The second one is determining who this person is and matching them to a record. On the one hand, you know, we've, we probably train a system on, I don't know, hundreds of examples of every kind of request, whether it's a refund request, a request for this kind of product, a request for that kind of product, whatever it is, right? I'm I'm just making things up. We we train it on a bunch of those, and then it gives us a confidence interval and a category for a new request based on, you know, natural language processing. That would be my presumption. And then with the contact, it would do some level of fuzzy matching, where if we have an exact email address, great, we can do that. But if we have a first name, last name, we can... Is this roughly where the AI comes in? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would love for the audience to know sort of where AI is layering value. So you let us know. Well, this plus also understanding the natural language, that's AI, because we cannot, uh, other than humans, to the RPA part or any other uh, automated solution, would not understand the natural language that is written in an email, right? That's where AI is playing a role. And that's why we're exactly using this 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 the solution because the solution helps us understand the natural language. So the natural language understanding is the power of the solution as well. Got it. This was the in- initial case here that instead of people manually finding which account this is appended to and people manually bucketing these different tickets, we could do so pretty close to instantaneously and put them in the yeah. right queue for the right people, appended to the right accounts right away. So. I think this is a great example of NLP. This is a very accessible use case. This is not rocket science. This is something that has been done in other businesses. It's close to low-hanging fruit in in some respects as as one can get. Talk a little bit about what the kind of results were for you guys, because this has eventually turned into a bit of a broader AI strategy and plan, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But clearly, you had to see enough progress with your first use case in order to, to be able to expand. So talk a bit about what the experience was like. You know, if there were any challenges with getting it to work, I'd love to hear a bit of that. And then also, whatever the results were that, that made you confident, it'd be great to hear that too. Yeah. We'll talk about results. Uh, we set the bar very high already in the beginning, right? So we, uh, when we are rolling it out to, to different customer support teams, we really want to have a better solution than, than what we do today, even manually, right? So, uh, of course, time-saving is one 
uh, criteria that, that we want to relieve our human efforts to not be put, put on these activities so, so they can rather focus on something else. So time saving is one criteria. But uh, having a better accuracy of uh, understanding email and classifying emails into the right bucket and, and having it first time right so we don't have to bother the customer for asking uh, the same question again or the same information that we might already have in the systems or not routing it to the wrong department so we are right always routing it to the right department so the problem is solved first time right so all these were thoroughly thought through in the beginning so we set the acceptance criteria of the solution already high to about 95 percent for the for the nature of emails that we train them module um, we said we cannot accept accuracy below 95 percent of automated uh, email registrations with with uh, with the solution and then i'm happy to say that we, we we have got that constantly that's great okay so 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 yeah it sounds like well you know and, and frankly that that number is quite a high bar you're right 95 is a is a high bar i mean you know in terms yeah. of in terms of would it be worth it to you financially if you could take the the manual human hunting and pecking you know out of the out of the loop in terms of the time and, and dollars saved there I would estimate maybe there'd be an ROI below that, but clearly yeah. it, there's less headache for you if it's higher. Was there a bit of a, you know, most of these systems involve some level of training. So, you know, you, yeah. you, you feed in, you get your first 10,000 emails come through the system and you just see if they look right, right? You don't even route them to the right people yet. You just kind of see if the system kind of looks right. And then yeah. maybe you refeed it a couple examples. You say, no, this one is actually a product inquiry. No, this one is actually, so was, was there a bit of, Kind of once you had your test data and you train the algorithm and then you take some fresh examples, you know, run them through the system and kind of see how they turn out. What did it look like to kind of tweak and refine it so that you felt confident that you were going to hit 95 when it went live? Yeah. Well, that's where we start, right? So we start with one language uh, and types of email coming into one mailbox and we ask for as many training samples as possible. So, uh, so historic emails that have come to that team for the last six months or so. The more training data you have, the, the better quality that the solution would give you. And the easier it becomes to train the engine because it can automatically detect a lot of patterns. And then, of course, the refinement you need to some extent because you need to make sure that the nuances are captured in that in, in that AI model. So to, to understand the categories which are not occurring very often, very well. So uh, that, that was a little bit of training requirement that we managed to, to do. Uh, but as such, what we have observed is that to train the, the model for one category for one language, it takes about one to two days uh, of, of training. And then once it's done in one language, uh, basically, yeah, you keep going on and on. And, and that's basically that what, what gives us the accuracy of 95% plus. Got and it. we have about 100 plus categories and even subcategories. And then the other part of fuzzy batching and all is, is something that our automated solution is doing. So that's something that we have built once and we are just reusing for all these different teams. Yeah, when you say fuzzy batching, just just clarify really quick what you mean there just for clarity. Oh, it's it's basically matching of uh, the, the the client against the client list and the client uh, database that, that we have internally to make sure that oh, we are... Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yep, the, the, right the contact matching. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah, fuzzy yeah. batching, yep, totally makes sense. Okay, I, I thought, I thought yeah, I think I thought you said batching instead of matching. So, okay, totally makes sense. And, I, you know your adoption process of picking a language and a set of use cases first and say, can we get to 95 with this? That makes a ton of sense, right? I think some people might presume, well, we feed in all the examples from all the languages and we let her rip. It's like, well, no, probably not. For you guys, I would imagine you took your most popular languages and yeah. your most popular ticket types because 
not only do you have the most data, but it's going to deliver the most value for you. And then you kind of expanded your way down the long tail as you went. So, okay, cool. Uh, that makes a ton of sense. And, and I, I, uh, I want to be able to, to move on from this into kind of what this has turned into because, you know, you're, you're someone who's deployed this initial AI application successfully, rolled it out, and you've talked about the process of adoption and the necessity of training and the, the, the process of the rollout, which I think is a great kind of under the hood view for anybody who's wondering what is this going to look like in real life. But you're also someone that's now charged with sort of rolling forward new capabilities. You know, that this initial AI application is kind of part of a broader plan, broader strategy. Talk a little bit about what this blossomed into and kind of where else either you're using AI now since this first application or, or where else you're planning to roll AI out now that you've got some great experience under your belt. One, we have not finished this journey yet because we have started with the Netherlands uh, to implement the solution and we, we have already rolled it out to, to France, to Belgium, to UK, to our shared service operation centers in Bratislava. Uh, we have, uh, yeah, uh, in total 42 countries, but we might not need to go everywhere. Yeah, uh, yeah I was going to say, that's a lot of, of languages. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, language is not a big concern because uh, uh, what I'm talking about is the wholesale banking business and wholesale banking official language is English. So anywhere we do business, we expect uh, that to, to, oh, fantastic. to uh, deal, okay. deal with customers in English. However, customers sometimes still write emails in different, different, different languages. So that's where we either leverage on integrations with, uh, with with tools like uh, translation tools uh, so that we don't necessarily need to train the engine again and again but translate the email into another language using the translation tool and and use that data for the natural language processing so that's something that we are doing or or, or investigating other than that uh, we are indeed uh, rolling it out to more countries with with more categories and more languages in scope uh, to to some extent but also identifying new use cases for for natural language processing and especially the expert.ai product Fujito here uh, because it indeed uh, does a, a good job in natural language understanding and also document understanding document categorization so we have done a proof of concept uh, in which we fed in a number of uh, or thousands of documents uh, in in the system and this system was trained just for a few days to categorize these documents into different buckets once again. So it can be a loan agreement, it can be a passport copy, it can be basically an ID document of one country or another country. So you, you can have n number of documents. And then uh, using these kind of technologies on your document repositories or documentum systems would enable you to make sure that you have the right uh, security levels assigned to your documents because uh, for the privacy regulations, you want to indicate uh, whether any document has privacy information, whether any document needs uh, uh, the confidential status or not. Uh, hopefully, it's already first time right, but you never know in your systems if, if data is coming from all, all possible ways. Uh, you really want to secure the data of your customers. So these are technologies we want to leverage on. And, and a bunch of other areas where we are exploring. Any Anywhere where uh, we are limited with. So we, we have a lot of uh, robotic process automation implemented everywhere. And wherever that robotic process automation needs to tag along with natural language processing, so uh, yeah. understanding of the natural language, we want to use this uh, solution. Got it. Okay, so what you're saying is clearly even the first example of routing the emails was initially being handled, you know, on some level with RPA, and then AI sort of consumed, you know, a good deal more of that, you know, getting to that 95% routing threshold there for you guys for, for certain ticket types, certain languages, whatever. Um, and then... Uh, it, 
what you're saying is that you can now use that same pair of goggles. In other words, hey, where else are we using RPA? And then ask the follow-up question, well, what are the edge cases? What are the categories that aren't being handled? And then either use AI to tackle those edge cases or maybe use AI to subsume that whole system and that whole process and get it to an even higher level of efficiency. Has this kind of been the extension from use case one to the others? Is yeah. this kind of the way your brain exactly. is? Okay. That's, that's one way of identifying because what, what we already have is this bunch of use cases we have built already with robotics so we can easily identify the next level of those uh, use cases to really to add intelligence to those robots we can call it right that's yeah our scope. but yep. yeah we are also constantly on the lookout for more opportunities where we can leverage uh, the, the, the natural language processing so uh, identifying more use cases. as i said the document categorization it doesn't need to be with rpa but it's a standalone uh, natural language processing use case in terms of you know your experience of branching from this first use case, which obviously you're still kind of refining and improving and probably extending and whatnot, um, into thinking about and maybe even moving into pilots and eventually deploying into other parts of the business, what was that journey like? You know, if I think about important lessons, uh, one thing I've got to say here, Sudanshu, is that I know that for other enterprise leaders, you know, we've interviewed plenty of them on the show, we work with plenty of them as clients. You know, being able to get the first use case right. It's an interesting tightrope because on the one hand, we've got to be able to show ourselves some relative near-term value. But on the other hand, if we promise over-the-moon near-term value without the necessary investments in AI maturity and capability and whatnot, then we can, all, we can you know, maybe get the first check cut, but now we're setting up expectations in a tough way. So you had to kind of sell AI, including the challenges and the necessary upgrades to kind of deploy these systems. You had to kind of you know, convey that to leadership move forward with the first project and now potentially have permission to kind of extend that mandate into other other things. So you've kind of make that made that successful leap. What for you have been the key success factors in doing that? I think there's a lot of people that want to make this exact same journey something that they go through. Talk to us about what you've learned. Well, one thing that we have learned is it is not the, the financial gain that you should start, uh, that, that you should expect day one, right? Of course, as you said, it has to build up and it has to, the return on investment is there. But it will it might take some time but what you can expect day one after the implementation of these kind of solutions is the the, the, the employee engagement and employee happiness right if you do it right yeah, <laughs> if, this, yeah. if these kind of solutions will increase the work for the for the employees then of course they might not like it and that they, they might not uh, support this initiative any further but if you're doing it with them so that's what we do we we take along the people who would eventually use this kind of solution we do uh, the measurements on their engagement scores before the implementation and a weekly basis during the implementation and after the implementation to see how they like the solution and, and, and how they perceive the solution, their trust levels on the solution. We do see in the beginning there is some maybe resistance or, or lack of motivation. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. That could be because of insecurity or so. But then eventually when they start using it, when they start leveraging on these capabilities, uh, of course, their trust level increases because they they, uh, they are the ones who are giving us the feedback that no, this is that the solution has done this wrong, so please fix it, and then we fix it immediately. So the feedback loop should be should be really good and short, but also really measuring their their engagement scores in terms of whether they like the solution or not, whether they like whether they trust the the robot making the right decisions. And whether it is just the trust, whether it is their perception, uh, so you measure into different categories, and then you see it it moves from uh, less interesting uh, results to really uh, more uh, valuable results. Like uh, their trust level increases, they become more engaged in in what they do because they 
they are now more reliant on the robot because the robot is actually doing a good job and they could completely focus on something else. So they really don't need to bother about what's happening behind the scenes uh, for them. So I'm just saying, so indeed focusing on a different set of objective instead of just saying uh, how much FTEs I'm saving or how much uh, money is this going to, to make for me. Employee engagement and in turn, of course, if you can, uh, for this use case, we didn't. But if you can uh, also measure the customer satisfaction, because when you have two of your biggest uh, uh, assets or two of your biggest, uh, how do you say, um, yeah, stakeholders happy, your employees and your uh, uh, customers, I think you you have a you have a successful implementation. So also measure your customer satisfaction with the solution if they are happy, because they, they might have perceived your service much faster than before. They might have perceived your service much. Uh, accurate uh, than before. So if you're getting those kind of responses from your customers, I think you have a, a successful implementation. Got it. Okay, I'm going to wrap up with two really brief questions and then we'll we'll close up the interview. But this has been some really good details and I don't want to leave this stuff on the table because you're bringing up some very important points. Um, we'll often advise clients that when it comes to measurable benchmarks for the quote-unquote ROI of, a, of an adoption project, you know, we want to think about all the various needles that could be moved. So just just looking at you know how much money have I made back in 60 days is a really tough way to measure a lot of AI projects for 100 reasons. But it sounds like one thing that you're advising is, hey, in addition to thinking about finances, we also were looking at impact on customer and employee satisfaction. We use those as benchmarks as well. So it wasn't just reporting to the boss about finances. It was saying, hey, here's the improved experience of our important stakeholders. So that was one other thing that you did. A quick point here, did you have to set the expectation with your leadership around the kind of data cleaning, the kind of iteration, the kind of R&D process that was going to be necessary to get this live? Because some people in leadership, um, they're extremely brilliant people. They're just not super close to AI. They might you know, kind of think it's a little bit like a SaaS product. You know, we, we kind of plug it in and, and then we automate, you know, a certain number of our of our tickets. But obviously it's not quite like that. So how did you set the expectations of, you know, kind of the necessary challenges and hurdles of, of deploying AI? How did you set those expectations up front? Because we find when people ignore them, it surprises leadership in a bad way, right? So you had to find a way around that. What was that like for you? Yeah. Well, what we did was we, we tagged along with the whole uh, digital transformation journey for us, right? So this is this is not only uh, automating and introducing an AI solution in one part of the bank. Uh, that's indeed it is in practice, but it's also if you look at it holistically, it's also digitalization. So uh, something that we had to do manually now it's been done by software and even more accurately. So we we we've tagged along in the digitalization team, and what we're showing here is that it's not only the, the, the time saving or so, it's also that uh, a number of our processes, including this one, will be digitalized. Uh, and and when, you say digit, when you say digitalized, of course, that, that, that you don't have to do it manually, but also you have better accuracy, plus uh, you have a lot of data that will be gathered out of it, a lot of good quality and reliable data that becomes your asset as an organization. So these were some, some interesting uh, uh, ways we could get the buy-in from the management and if in, in the in the beginning, of course, it was a little bit of R&D, a little bit of learning in the journey. But now, because this solution for this particular use case is so successful with the 95% accuracy, uh, we don't have to shop around anymore. We really have a, a nice pipeline of projects and, and then countries who want to use this product uh, solution. And then leadership of the, that country is very happy to onboard because they have seen clear results that 
yes, this will offload their 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 human resources who are always basically over booked with the number of activities. So the the, the buy-in has become easier. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I, super important. And the fact that you've kind of addressed data as an asset, you're sort of talking about the benefit of building capability to support AI, not just the immediate you know, financial return the next day, but exactly. sort of what are we building towards in terms of capability? Extremely important. I hope that our listeners will take that to heart. I hope our listeners will also take to heart, uh, Sudanshu, your emphasis on working with the actual users of the tech, making sure they're happy with it, making sure they're part of the feedback, making sure you get buy-in from them, because that's another common failure point for these kinds of use cases. Uh, and it sounds like you took that quite seriously. So I, I hope our listeners are really going to take that seriously. And I hope to uh, hear more about your future AI project rollouts as they occur. So Donshu, I know that's all we have for time for today, but thank you so much for sharing a bit of your journey and AI experience with us. Thank you, Don. It was a pleasure. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to Sadanchu for joining us, and thank you to you for listening all the way through on this episode. If you have enjoyed the things you've learned here on the show in terms of our coverage of use cases, our coverage of success factors in terms of deploying artificial intelligence, then be sure to follow us on social. It's just at E-M-E-R-J on Twitter or Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on LinkedIn or on Facebook. And when you're on the website, emerj.com, up at the top right, you're going to see a button for subscribe. You can enter your email address there, and you'll also be able to get all of our latest podcast episodes directly to your inbox. We have two additional AI podcasts on top of the AI and Business podcast, and so you'll be able to have all of those as soon as they come out and are live, as well as all of our latest articles and AI frameworks. We come out with frameworks regularly on the ROI of AI, building AI strategies. So if you want to put what you're learning here in action, then consider also subscribing on the newsletter, emerj.com, up at the top right as a button for subscribe. Uh, that's all for this episode. I look forward to catching you for the next one here on the AI and Business Podcast.